and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and man, the Chiefs-Bills game just ended, and that was everything I hoped it would be. You heard me say it on the Friday and Thursday episodes of the show. This is my favorite weekend on the sports calendar. There are other individual events I enjoy more, but the divisional round is typically the best football we get all year. You get quality where you have eight good teams you have quantity you have four games and they each get their own window so you get to focus and you get to grind it out like a normal person you're not just watching the big plays and exciting things on red zone you actually have to work a little bit for the entertainment and this weekend it lived up to the billing all four games were excellent all four of these games came down to the last possession all four of these games had the galaxy brain shit I told you about, I picked three out of the four games correctly. We only game we got wrong was Tampa Bay and the Rams. The other three we picked right. So, like to three and one against the spread, not not terrible. Good good weekend. Good weekend. I mean, granted, I was very much a Patrick Mahomes miracle drive with 13 seconds left away from going two and two on the weekend, but great great weekend of football, man. The Bengals really arriving on the scene with a big win against Tennessee. San Francisco. The San Francisco-Green Bay game is one of the most entertaining games I've ever watched. Not nearly as exciting as the Chiefs-Bills game. The Chiefs-Bills game was like a master class. It was like watching two chess masters play chess head-to-head. Just... 49ers-Packers was a rock fight. Most of the games this weekend were rock fights. We got one shootout, and the shootout is going to go down in football history as one of the best games ever played. Allen and Mahomes very clearly cementing themselves as the guys for this generation. Herbert might get there. Burrow might get there. Talent-wise, what Mahomes and Allen are capable of is just... They can avoid tackles. They both had upwards of 60 yards rushing, extending plays with their feet, looking downfield, constantly being able to throw across their body, throw from any arm slot. Just otherworldly talent. Just superhuman type shit. I mean, really hard to explain or quantify other than just an innate, like a sixth sense basically, to avoid pressure in the pocket, being able to throw off platform with bad mechanics off of one foot, without stepping into your throws, just stuff that other people physically are incapable of doing, no matter how good you might be. There's maybe four people on earth who can make some of the throws we saw in that game today. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So most easy way, subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform you like to use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. Subscribe to the show. Unsubscribe once you've subscribed and resubscribe. That stuff helps. Leave a review if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please, please, please. Spotify makes you listen to a few episodes before you leave a review. Please leave a review. If you're using Apple Podcasts, go to the show's page. Scroll past the most recent few episodes. Five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few words of encouragement. Leave reviews for all of your content creators, whatever they're doing. If it's YouTube, if it's podcasts, if it's TikToks, whatever. Like their things. Share their things. That stuff means the world. It doesn't take a lot of time. 
and it helps us out immensely. Okay, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. We'll unpack the four games. We'll go game by game and have some fun. I'll see you guys in a sec. We will get on into it. We will start with the Tennessee Titan-Cincinnati Bengal game from Saturday afternoon, the early game from that from Saturday. It was a weird football game. The first play from scrimmage being a Ryan Tannehill interception, things kind of got off to a weird footing. Tennessee really never got into any kind of rhythm on offense for any prolonged period of time. The few times they did, they followed that up with further weird decisions, like the one drive where they had the Derrick Henry big run, then they had the Deonta Foreman big run. I believe Foreman had like a 40-yard carry between the tackles that he broke off, and then they get Henry off of the field, and they run a wide receiver screen for Chester Rogers that gets intercepted, and Cincinnati gets to take it back going the other way. That was really the first time in one of these types of environments where I felt like it was the game was a little fast for Ryan Tannehill. And I've been a Ryan Tannehill defender. I think he's perfectly good enough for a team to win a Super Bowl with. But you need things around him to be ideal. The Bengals were able to get some pressure on him. The Titans didn't... I don't want to say... It's hard to judge Tennessee for using Derrick Henry the way they did. He was fine, a lot of touches, but he would come out in spurts. Obviously, Henry's not in there on passing downs. They'd have Hilliard in there, or they would have Deonta Foreman in there. Just, I wish... It sounds easy to say this in hindsight, but I would have liked to have seen Tennessee do something a little bit more creative with Henry back in the mix. Because you have Derrick Henry in there... You should be using play action on so many more of your dropbacks. You should not be having Ryan Tannehill drop straight back without any run action of any kind for his own protection. He's not an Aaron Rodgers or a Mahomes or a Josh Allen who's going to be able to make crazy throws into tight windows. You got to use his athleticism. You got to roll him out. You got to get him on bootlegs. You got to use slides. So you have those easy plays that go for like three or four yards that the ball carrier can make one person miss and extend the play. And just, I wanted to see more from Tennessee in that game. I picked Cincinnati to cover. I did not think Cincinnati would win. I thought this would be a field goal game. I thought Tennessee would win by three or less. Just I didn't trust Zach Taylor and the Bengals. And the Bengals were not outstanding. Their offense had a very hard time. I mean, Joe Burrow got the shit knocked out of him. Got sacked eight, nine times. Just otherworldly bad offensive line play from the Bengals. Going to get Burrow killed one of these days if they don't fix that. But when it came down to it, they had a few plays that they ran multiple times. They had the slant to T. Higgins on a couple of occasions because Tennessee's defensive backs were playing off because they were trying to avoid giving up the big play because Cincinnati is a big play offense. Cincinnati had the most plays of more than 20 yards of any team in the league this year. They had Jamar Chase burn them for a couple of big plays. He had a nice game, 100-plus yards receiving on eight targets. Eight catches, rather, not targets. More catches, than, uh, more targets than catches. Words are hard sometimes, I know. I'm still kind of jacked up. My heart rate was at 110 during the overtime of the Chiefs-Bills game. Very, very fun game. But back to the Cincinnati-Tennessee game. 
I'm looking at my notes here. Every For all four games, I logged every single snap, what the play was, down in distance, the time on the clock, just to be able to look back. And it sounds weird because I am very much an anti-running-the-ball guy. I've written and talked on this podcast significantly about how passing is more efficient than running the ball. That is true, generally speaking. But there are on occasion situations where it makes more sense to run the ball. And Tennessee should have been running the ball more efficiently. There were a lot of carries that were going nowhere. It took them a little bit, a little while to get Derrick Henry going. He had to get up to game speed. He didn't really get going until the second half. But the few times they had Deonta Foreman in there, he looked great. Deonta Foreman had, I believe, seven carries for 68 yards, something like that. Tennessee did not tendency break. They gave away what they were doing based on what running back was in there, and that's part of the problem teams like Tennessee have where they're so dependent on somebody other than your quarterback because you fall into these habits, these tendencies, and the the defense can pick up on that. The defense is going to realize, hey, uh, if Henry's in there, he's probably getting the ball if it's first or second down. If Foreman's in there, they're expecting a pass. So those few opportunities where Foreman did to carry the ball between the tackles, he was able to gash the Cincinnati defense. And Cincinnati defense has some athletes. Mike Hilton had a particularly nice game standing out. Awuzie had a nice game. Jesse Bates had an interception. But th- there's nobody in that defense that terrifies you. Trey Hendrickson had a nice regular season, but that's not an Aaron Donald or TJ Watt level of imposing figure. Just I felt like that game could have gone either way. There was... I was frustrated with the way that game was being played because there were just so many opportunities left on the table. For Cincinnati, I don't think you're going to be able to win a lot of games where Burrow's going to get sacked nine times. I think Tennessee Tennessee does have a very good front. Harold Landry in particular stood out to me. Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle for Tennessee, had a very nice game getting a lot of pressure. And it's hard to get pressure as a defensive tackle from up the middle, but Jeffrey Simmons was doing his best at effort, man. Uh, looking at the notes here, the opportunities they had, that was a game where either team could have won and should have won, but they both, neither of them wanted to take it. Both teams were doing their best effort of, hey, you take this? Yeah, you want to win this? No, you should... It's fine. You can win this game. It's fine. It's fine. And that's what it was for four quarters. Tennessee could not move the ball with any real regularity. They couldn't get into a rhythm passing the ball, which was the real issue. They had some shot plays. They hit a couple of shot plays. The A.J. Brown touchdown towards the end of the game was a really nice play. Just A.J. Brown burning his guy, getting open. When I think about this game down the road, I'm obviously going to think about Joe Burrow getting the shit knocked out of him. I'm going to think about Jamar Chase just being a freak of nature when he has the ball in his hands. Um, They ran a play. They ran a play where Chase motions across the formation, catches it on a hitch, and just goes. And the pre-snap motion just... They ran that screen early in the game in the first quarter to Chase where he burned it for 70 yards. And that was like the only play the Bengals offense had for positive yards for a while there. And I want to see I want to see the Bengals put Burrow in a position to succeed going forward. They need to upgrade that offensive line. That is a real problem. Evan McPherson, though, the Bengals kicker, 
Great game out of that kid. That the floor he was on the Florida team last year with Kyle Trask, Pitts, Tony, and Dan Mullen went to the SEC title game. He was drafted pretty highly, fourth round for kickers pretty early. He was great. Uh, CJ Uzoma had a very nice game. He's been on, I think, every single person on the planet Earth's fantasy team at one point or another because he's always the tight end that's available on waivers. He had a nice game. Thinking about that game, it does seem like Tennessee is going to have to reassess the formula, which is one of the takeaways I know I've seen from a few places they went all in. They traded for Julio. They gave some bad. Co- they gave expensive contracts out to guys like Bud Dupree, trying to figure out their pass rush. They got Harold Landry as an in-house solution, which helps immensely. But they're going to have to reassess where they are. They might change offensive coordinators. I want to say I felt good about Cincinnati in that game, but until the until that field goal went through the uprights to end the game. I was I was just waiting for the disaster to come because that's just the way things have gone for the Bengals over the years. You think about the Vontez Burfick stuff against the Steelers. You think about all the times Andy Dalton went to the playoffs and lost to like TJ Yates in random ass games. I kept waiting for the ball. They got batted up in the air and deflected three times to be picked off going the other way. I kept waiting for Kevin Byard, the safety, to come swooping in out of nowhere and decapitate someone. Thinking about it now, I don't know if Mike Vrabel would go for two again in that situation where they got the 12 men on the field penalty for the um, point after attempt and then the five yards, so it moves to the one. Titans are, had the best red zone offense in the league this season. Uh, if you can't get one yard with Derrick Henry, that's bad. The Titans got a little too cute with it. They probably should have tried to get him a little bit more room instead of just having him run into a rugby scrum. I don't know if you would let if Rabel, if you told him you probably aren't going to get it this try, if it was like 66-33 that you weren't going to get it, would you still go for it? I don't know, but I definitely think that's going to bother him. He's that kind of guy. I want to see Tennessee succeed. They're fun. They turn every game into a slog. Derrick Henry is one of the most exciting players in the league. Mike Vrabel is very much somebody I would like to play for if I was a football player. Because I know that guy would run through a fucking wall to win a game. And he tries. And they've had a few opportunities now. They went to an an AFC title game a couple years ago. They lost to Baltimore last year. They lost to Cincinnati this year as the number one seed coming off a bye. And I do think the bye hurt teams more than it helped them this year. Uh, Tennessee just, it took them so long to get into a rhythm. And part of that was getting Derrick Henry reintegrated after not playing for about nine weeks, ten weeks. I think Derrick Henry got hurt his foot in week nine, week eight, something like that. You got to get him back into a rhythm. I mean, it's very clear that Derrick Henry probably shouldn't have been playing in that game, that his foot was very seriously not a f- not healthy enough to be playing professional football. There's a metal plate in it right now that will eventually get removed, but it in the first half Cincinnati was doing a great job of stopping the run and yes, eventually Tennessee was able to break through. I just never really felt like either of those teams was actively getting closer to winning the game. Just so many opportunities left on the field. I I think about, where is it in my notes? The the fourth and one that Tennessee had where 
they punted from the 50 they punted from their own 47 yard line on a fourth and two and i they should have gone for it at that point it was six nothing so even if they get the ball back it's a two score game you gotta go you got derrick henry back there you've got Tannehill. Tannehill's a good athlete Use the zone read game. You use it down in the red zone. Use it on a fourth and two sometime. That kind of shit makes a difference. Going forward, I'm very skeptical of Cincinnati against Kansas City. I know Cincinnati beat them in the regular season down the stretch. They had that one play where Jamar Chase scored a bomb touchdown on a third and 27 because the Chiefs were blitzing because Steve Spagnuolo is a psychopath who blitzes when it's third and 27 instead of trying to play coverage, which is something we're going to get to when we talk about that game, but... Leaning early, my early expectation is that game will be about six and a half points for Kansas City uh, as the favorite. But we got plenty of time. We'll get there once we do. We'll do conference championship game preview on Friday. But just as a wrap up, it goes to show you how much attitude and just I don't want to use the word moxie because I dislike when old people use it to describe younger athletes, but. You can just tell the way Joe Burrow carries himself that his teammates believe in him and that helps them and they are all better because Joe Burrow carries himself like that. That swagger, that confidence, that I'm going to be able to make this play even though he's not the most physically talented person, that that goes a long way. And When they got that ball back in the tie game situation and they ran the two plays to get to the... They ran the two plays to get the ball. Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, they got the ball back on that interception. They ran. They intercept Ryan Tannehill for the third time. Cincinnati gets the ball. They run an out to Jamar Chase. They pick up a first down. Then they go Jamar. They go Mixon inside zone. They pick up two yards and they say, "All right, timeout. We're going to kick our field goal and we're going to try and win the game here." And then McPherson does it. I want I want to see better play calling. That is a recurring theme from all four of these games, from both sides, teams that won and lost. I want to see better play calling. Uh, you could tell Tannehill wasn't great. He didn't have his A stuff on Saturday, and Tennessee grinded it out because Cincinnati is not that good. Tennessee was able to hang around in that game, keep it close, and make it a game down the stretch. That touchdown, Tannehill threw to A.J. Brown, was like, okay, all right, I expect Tennessee to get it going here. And then Cincinnati won, uh, 19-16. Burrow got his shit rocked. I'm sure he's feeling mighty sore today, but that win, that was impressive. That is career-affirming type stuff. You work your entire life to start getting here, and just because you're on a team with a bad history like Burrow is with the Bengals, that doesn't matter to him. He said the new standard is winning. We expect to be in the playoffs every single year. That is a message that people will rally around and support. Burrow, I've been on the Burrow train. I am an avid, vocal Joe Burrow stan. I mean, I also just love quarterbacks. I watch a lot of college football, so guys like Burrow jump off the screen. I I also am still the only person on the internet holding Baker Mayfield stock. So I'm a volume shooter when it comes to the quarterback position, whether someone will be good or not. Now, continuing on, the next game chronologically, San Francisco-Green Bay. San Francisco wins 13-10 on a Robbie Gold field goal, and 
I was very much right that this was the game I was looking forward to the most this weekend for football nerd reasons, and it was a football nerd masterclass. We had Lafleur and Shanahan, very good friends, former colleagues on a couple different staffs together, going mano y mano, and Kyle Shanahan, man, I'm very, very happy my boy Kyle gets to dunk on the boomer morons, okay? A lot, a lot, a lot of very corny middle-aged people were dancing on the 49ers' graves at 3-5. and five. This guy's supposed to be some kind of genius. He's got a worse winning percentage than Mike Singletary is the head coach. Well, Bill, when you have C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins at the quarterback position for multiple seasons, maybe, just maybe, I think it's okay to... I, I think you can... I think it's not fair to saddle a coach with that kind of win-loss when very clearly the first season he was there was a rebuild. They start Jimmy G the last six games. They win those. The year after they come back, Jimmy gets hurt, misses the entire season. They roll with Mullins and Bethard. Then the third year, they go to the Super Bowl. Last year, they have the year from hell where everybody gets hurt. And this year, they're in the NFC title game with a chance to play a team, Tampa Bay, excuse me, the Rams, who beat Tampa Bay, that we're going to talk about, that they've already beaten twice this year, and they've beaten six straight times going back over the last few seasons. And Green Bay was not ready. I said on the preview episode, I think San Francisco would be more physical. I think San Francisco would be able to keep this game interesting and that if they could control both lines of scrimmage they would win this game and they did they flat out did they did not get a gaudy count of sacks they didn't force a turn of interceptions or fumbles they were just consistently making Rodgers get rid of the ball a little bit faster than they wanted to and that's all it took and then coming out of the half with the snow that's an added wrinkle and the way it was described and I forget what person said this, but they described it as San Francisco has been in a survival situation for essentially a month and a half now, where they've had to win every single game they've played for about six to seven weeks straight now. They know they need to play a certain way if they're going to win, and if they can hang around long enough, they think they're two or three elite players in Fred Warner and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Nick Bosa, they think those four guys are going to be able to make a play. If the game is close, and all you need is one play, and you've got four genuinely elite players like that, all it takes is one play. And if you've got more alpha dog blue chip players than the other team, that means something. That does mean something. Now, the Aaron Rodgers slander on Twitter Saturday night was amazing. Absolutely hysterical. The slander. Carson Pence genuinely had me cackling like a hyena the first time I read it. QB Giuliani. Just the slander was great. Rodgers wasn't awful on Saturday. He's not the reason they lost. He was like 20 of 28 for like 210 yards. Very bland approach on offense. I would have liked. And I know this sounds crazy to say, but I talked about this on Friday. 
Everybody thinks of the Packers as a pass-first team because they have Rodgers and Devontae Adams. The Packers are a run-first offense. The mechanics of that offense require it to be run-first. They need the run to set up the play-action and the boots and all of the fancy stuff Rodgers does at a mastery level that allows him to have MVP seasons in that offense. They could have kept running Aaron Jones. San Francisco's pass rush was getting a lot of pressure on them, and one of the ways to alleviate that pass rush, to alleviate that pressure, is to run the ball. And if you can effectively run the ball for four yards a clip, like Aaron Jones was in that game, that goes a long way. I know A.J. Dillon got dinged up at one point in the game. He would have been very useful to have for longer stretches or a more full version of him. Just It was an ugly football game. These are two teams who were very familiar with each other. They've played five times over the last three seasons. They've met in the NFC title game a couple years ago, the year the uh, 49ers went to the Super Bowl. I was very... I. The Jimmy interception was god-awful. Just absolutely, like, punched the TV. Got, like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? God-awful. Because he should have just thrown it away. Because he was already rolling right to go out of bounds. Just throw it away, Jimmy. You are not Patrick Mahomes. You are not Josh Allen. It's not great. It's not great. They meaning the 49ers, they made Green Bay uncomfortable. They didn't let Rodgers sit around, dance. No Valdez-Scantling mattered in that game because a lot of drops from the secondary replacement players, whether it be Lazard or um, Mercedes Lewis fumbling, which was tough because Aaron's made Mercedes Lewis stay in the NFL several years longer than I probably ever thought he would. And when I say San Francisco are physical, I, you just think about the Debo carries and the Elijah Mitchell carries. Just absolute thumpings. Absolute thumpings, guys trying to tackle those. Debo out of the backfield is a, mat, a genuine matchup nightmare. You cannot tackle that man, and if he gets any hint of speed... He's so hard to tackle once he gets going downhill because he's such a physical runner. He's exactly what you want out of that position. It's just he's also a wide receiver at a high level too, which is awesome. And in that game as it went along, I kept waiting for Green Bay to hit their one play. Green Bay to hit their one Devontae Adams play action shot. Their one, their Aaron Jones wheel route. Their A.J. Dillon 55-yard I kept waiting for Green Bay to have their one enormous play just because of who they have on that team. There's enough high-end talent. And the part of the problem we've seen, and this isn't unique to Green Bay or any one team in particular, but these teams with these high-powered offenses, they don't like having to nickel and dime their way up the field. When there's not as much space to operate, they're not as good at moving the ball efficiently. They don't like having to settle for those long 12, 13-play drives. They want to get those chunk plays in. They want to get the 15-yard outs. They want to get the seams. They want to attack the center of the field with a post. And Green Bay couldn't do it. I I, I mean, I'm looking at my notes here, and the, the best drive Green Bay has all game is their first drive of the game. After that, after Matt LaFleur got out of his game script, they really couldn't get anything going for any sustained period of time. The start of that game, they go inside zone, slant, 
Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. Reverse play, negative yards, Devontae Adams, A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon. Touchdown. That's the best drive Green Bay was able to put together in the entire game. They had a couple of other drives where they got, you know, seven, eight plays. Their best drives in the game were the ones where Aaron Jones was the featured player. The eighth drive of the game for Green Bay. Curl to Devontae, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones. Play action shot, deep, big play. They get the ball down the field. They hit Devontae Adams on a big crosser. They get a defensive holding penalty. Uh, they run another play to Devontae. Aaron Jones screen pass, end of the quarter. Drop back. Devontae Adams, five yards. Lazard, first down. Aaron Jones, first down. They get it to second and goal. They have to settle for a field goal. The best, the two best drives Green Bay has in this game are the ones where they were run first offense because San Francisco is doing everything in their power to limit what Devontae Adams can do. They were did a good job of making uh, of making Adams only catch stop routes, so sticks, curls, comebacks, where he wasn't able to catch the ball in stride, where the defensive backs were able to come down and tackle Adams in front of them. That is what you want to do when you're facing an elite wide receiver like Devontae Adams. You want to keep everything in front of you. And that last drive, where it's 10-10, Green Bay gets the ball, and they have they go four and out. That's the thing. Green Bay goes four and out. They get that possession. And I haven't even talked about the two special teams plays. And I, I feel like I should at this point because we've kind of established it was a very close game. But without the two special teams fuck-ups, Green Bay wins that game. The short fields in both situations give... Well, one was a touchdown. The block punt resulted in a touchdown. But the blocked field goal keeps it from going to a two-score game. And then the block punt ties the game at 10-10. Then Green Bay gets the ball back from the 30. They go throw away. Devontae Adams curl route. Devontae Adams first down. Randall Cobb come back, almost intercepted. They take a shot on third and 11, which they took like a 20-yard down the field shot over the top where Adam, where Rodgers just missed Devontae Adams. And he had an open guy on that play. That's the clip you've seen, the all-22 floating around of, of him hit, trying to hit Devontae Adams in stride, coming across the left side of the field. Adams starts on the right. He runs a post directly per directly making a 45 degree angle with the pylon trying to catch the ball going upfield and he misses him and rogers rogers is that's aaron Rodgers' thing the the accuracy on the deep ball just rogers is probably the best accuracy passer we've ever seen like ever period at that level and him missing a throw like that was so out of the norm and Part of that is the effect of San Francisco constantly being in his grill, constantly messing up his internal clock. So he does get rid of the ball half a second earlier than he expects to because he can't step into the throw fully, so his accuracy is a little bit off and it's incomplete, and they punt. They go Kittle, Mitchell, Debo play, Debo play, Debo play, Debo play, Eliza Mitchell play. Kyle Juszczyk play, field goal. 
San Francisco realized if they wanted to win this game, you got to get the ball in the hands of your best player, and that's Debo. Green Bay was trying to do that with Devontae, and Devontae Adams is Green Bay's best player aside from Rodgers. They needed to get Aaron Jones more. They needed to use him more in the intermediate passing game. They needed to try and get him some favorable matchups against linebackers other than Fred Warner. If you're getting Dre Greenlaw in coverage against Aaron Jones, that's a win for you if you're Green Bay. Aaron Jones, we know, is a very good catcher of the football out of the backfield. It's just frustrating to watch because Green Bay had opportunities. They just missed so many chances. And it's not like San Francisco played an amazing game. They just managed to keep it close, and their special teams unit was not the unit that fucked up the game. I said on the podcast on Friday, number one, my biggest deciding factor would be special teams because both of these teams have awful 32 and 31 ranked special teams units. A blocked field goal and a pump block for a touchdown were the deciding factors in that game. That's one for me. I picked San Francisco to cover. I didn't think they would win. I thought they would keep it within six. I'm very happy for Kyle. I am one of the OG holders of the Kyle Shanahan membership fan club card. It's a little bit frayed now. I had to go and get it laminated because the corners are a bit worn out from being in my wallet so much. But I was impressed that they were able to make it a game. And then they got plays on special teams, which I was not expecting because their special teams units are so freaking bad. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Rodgers in the offseason. I will try and get some Packers media or a Packers fan on to kind of unpack where they go from here. But I can't imagine that's it for Aaron Rodgers in the NFL. It could be it for him in Green Bay, but I doubt that's his last game at this level. Uh, I just, I don't see it. I, I think he can play at a high level for another couple of seasons. I mean, look what Brady did at 44. Rodgers is 38 and has more just talent, more physical talent, even though he's not as elusive as he was earlier in his career dancing around in the pocket. He's still a very good quarterback. And as much of an asshole as he is and as annoying as he is as a person, he's a very good football player. And the more good football players there are in the NFL, the better. So, continuing along here, the Rams in Tampa was weird, okay? Just flat out, it was weird. The Rams get out to that enormously. They're up 27-3, and then Tampa, and then Brady does what Brady does. They start getting the bounces, they get the intercept, they get the uh, Cam Akers fumbles in the red zone right before the half. They get the Cam Akers fumble at the end of the fourth quarter where they're able to get the ball back and come down and score. And that was the quintessential Brady smoke and mirrors bullshit game where the entire game, they just cannot move the ball there. I was ready to jump through my fucking TV to yell at Byron Leftwich to run the fucking ball. Leonard Fournette was going for four yards a carry every single time he touched the ball. And the Rams were in Brady's grill that entire game. Everything I just said about Green Bay and San Francisco, San Francisco controlling the line of scrimmage and rushing the passer with great efficiency, Tampa went the other way. Instead of trying to run the ball, Tampa ran a ton of screens to the left, to the right, to the middle, all the league stuff that you see Andy Reid do. They tried doing with Brady a couple times. They did with, um, with Fournette a couple times. They had a few tackles for loss on screens, which 
because they were over-relying on screens, the defense started to expect them. And once Tampa actually started running the ball with Fournette in the fourth quarter, they got their offense going. And I know I'm very much not a running backs don't matter person, but Fournette was fucking making a difference in that game. I just absolutely infuriating watching the Tampa Bay offense. And part of that's on Brady. He was missing open guys. He had Tyler Johnson, the young receiver, drop a fuck ton of passes. I think Johnson had four passes hit him in the chest or hands that he just dropped. You, you can't be doing that in this kind of game. I know you're thin at that position because of Godwin's injury and Antonio Brown's AWOL, but you've got Cameron Brate, you've got OJ Howard, you've got Gronk. Bully ball them. Go out there with three tight ends and dare them to stop you from running with Fournette. Fournette is 6'4", 240 pounds. And then if you get Breit and Gronk on the edges to block, you can control that line of scrimmage. I don't think the Rams are the most physical team. Cam Akers is very physical. He was bruising and injuring people running to that second level. I believe Sean Murphy Bunning got hurt on one of Cam Akers' carries and... They really gave Cam Akers a full workload. I, just and I was expecting them to slowly integrate him back into the offense. They did casually a little bit over the Week 18 and the uh, Wild Card game, but just looking at it, I mean, Cam Akers 24 carries for 48 yards. At some point, you're going. You got to realize that's not working. I know they dropped Stafford back 48 times, and let me look at it real quick. Yeah, the Rams had 40 plays, 38 of them passing, 30 rushing, but the rushing also includes sacks of Stafford and the Van Jefferson plays. It seemed to me that Tampa did not adjust fast enough in the game. They could not get Brady any time in that pocket, so he was a little bit off on all his throws because he wasn't able to step into all of them. And then once they adjusted it because they got the running game going and the defense started to respect the run and the play action a little bit more, Brady was actually able to settle into the pocket a bit. At some point, you got to say as a defense, okay, we're not getting pressure at the same way. Let's adjust what we're doing here. Let's drop people. And the, the defense that was on display on Sunday in both games was just disgusting. I understand you're playing with the lead, so you're going to play prevent. You don't want to let anything behind you. But Jesus Christ, man, you got to make a play. And look, Tampa got what they deserved the way they played. They did not deserve that game to be 27-27 at any point. Okay? They did not deserve to be in that game. But by golly gee, they got in there. And then Stafford gets the ball back. And they hit that scene play to Cooper Cup, and it's a blown coverage. Bruce Arians said after the game, we didn't communicate what the play was properly to the entire defense. The safety went with the wrong person. And Stafford just makes that otherworldly throw to Cup. That, that was the play where it's like, okay, I understand why Sean McVay wanted, wanted Matthew Stafford throwing that ball to Cooper Cup instead of Jerry Goff. The Stafford discourse is going to be very interesting going into conference championship games this weekend. I'm skeptical of the Rams is the way I'll describe it. I picked Tampa Bay to win that game largely because I know McVay is going to galaxy brain himself and I know that when their offense gets stale because 
they can't get one aspect of their game going. They start to have issues moving the ball. And for the most part, they were able to move the ball however they wanted. I mean, they go field goal, touchdown, 10 nothing on the, um, the Blanton touchdown, yeah, where they ran play action. Then Tampa goes four. They get, Tampa gets one first down, goes three and out, field goal, 10-3 Rams. Then Rams, enormous play. They hit the 60-yard bomb for a touchdown, 17-3. Tampa punts again. They get the ball to fourth and seven at midfield at 17-3. I would think about it. I would have thought about going there. Then the Rams get the ball back, punt. Tampa gets a long drive. Suckup misses the field goal wide right. The Rams get the ball back. Come down. All the way down. Field goal. 20-3. Tampa punts. Rams get the ball back. Akers fumbles. Prevents it from getting to 23-3 or 27-3 in the first half. Rams come out first half. In the first possession of the second half, they punt. Then the Rams get the ball back after forcing Tampa to punt. They get the Stafford QB sneak. It's 27-3. Everybody on the planet starts tweeting the 28-3 Falcons jokes. Tampa gets the ball, comes down, settles for a field goal. I disagreed with it at the time. It worked out for them. The Rams run that play where they run a play-action boot slide where Cooper Cup comes behind the line of scrimmage as the ball's being snapped, and he's running parallel to the line of scrimmage. Stafford hits him at the line of scrimmage. He fumbles. Tampa gets the ball. They come down, score, touchdown, 27-13. They run the play to Fournette, and then they really get it going. They get the Rams to turn the ball over. They get the Rams to miss on the field goal. And, like, I know it, 48 yards kind of long. Mackey's a pro bowler. If you can't hit a 48-yard field goal because you made it short, that seems bad, okay? I understand he was hurt in pregame. Then maybe you go for it instead of settling for the field goal there. Rams, punt. Tampa comes down, punt. At 27-20, when they hit Mike Evans for that bomb play over Jalen Ramsey, where he just double, he hits a double move. He goes an out and up and cooks Jalen Ramsey. Brady hits him in stride. At 27-20, I'm fully convinced that Tampa's going to win this game. Everybody's making their Goodell made the call jokes, the this is scripted, all that shit. Tampa gets the ball back at 27-20. They come down. They get the ball to fourth and inches right outside of the red zone. They run QB, they, excuse me, they run halfback power to the right. Fournette goes outside. Everybody goes to the middle because they're expecting Brady to sneak it on fourth and one. It was even less than fourth and one. I have fourth and inches in my notes. And they run Fournette outside. They tie the game. And then 42 seconds left. And the Buccaneers are in cover three. There's one safety high. And he loses Cooper Cup. It them's the breaks, man. You lose the best player on the other team over the middle in that situation. It's just unacceptable. It's just flat out unacceptable. You're playing no doubles. That means no doubles. You got to do everything in your power to stay in front of Cooper Cup. If Tyler Higby beats you, fine. If Odell beats you, that's worse, but that's still better than Cooper Cup beating you. You cannot let the other team's best player be the reason you lose. Especially in that kind of situation where all you got to do is drop. I know Tampa Bay rushed an extra guy, and that's why it was three high for three receivers. You shouldn't have been blitzing in that situation regardless. They sent one of the corners on a nickel blitz, and that's what Todd Bowles does. He's a blitz guy. 
you left your safety on an island with Cooper Cup and you got burned for 65 yards. Just Jesus Christ, man. And then Matt Gay comes on 30-27. I'm disappointed. I thought Tampa Bay... I think Tampa is better than the Rams. I don't think the Rams are all of that good, but I've been saying that for a little while now. I... I've had a roller coaster of emotions with the Rams in terms of my confidence in them. I came into the year very high on them. At the midway point of the season, I was confident that they'd be in this mix for the Super Bowl. Then they kind of had that run where Stafford was having three interceptions every other game, and I was skeptical of them. They need to be able to run the ball. They really need to hope Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle, is able to play next week against San Francisco because they cannot run the ball right now. And that is a problem because Sean McVay needs the run to work for his offense to work. And that was the real problem. Once the Rams started just dropping Stafford back every single play, they started having trouble. And then because they real Tampa realizes, okay, they're just going to start running the ball now just to keep the clock running, that's a problem because then they sell out to stop the run and then you get into the obvious passing situations where then it's third and eight and you're going to send pressure at Stafford and make him get rid of it before he's ready. That's the biggest thing. If you take away nothing else from listening to this podcast during football season, your goal as an offense is to be in a situation where the defense doesn't know if you're going to be run or pass before the play. If you are in third and eight constantly, you are going to be unsuccessful as an offense unless you have Justin Herbert. That is not a recipe for success. You need to stay ahead of the chains. Canadian football, you want to be getting first downs by second down. You don't want to have to get to third down. And if you do, you want it to be third and short so you have the threat of run or pass. All of these things, these are easy concepts to understand. And naturally had to save the best game of the weekend, the Chiefs-Bills game for last I, I, I won't go on and on about how that's one of the best football games ever because it is, absolutely. No doubt in my mind, that's a game I will remember the rest of my life. That was that was two bulls going at it for four quarters. And it took a little while to develop. The game wasn't going as fast-paced and high-scoring as some people might have thought it would. It took a little while to get going. The Bills came out first drive of the game. They go 7-0. Kansas City gets the ball right back 7-7. Then you go punt, 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 punt. Kansas City gets the ball. Two-minute warning. 14-7 on the throw to Byron Pringle. Buffalo gets the ball back from the 25. They go Beasley, Diggs, Beasley, Gabe Davis, QB sweep, QB sweep post to Gabe Davis with basically no time left in the half. The post to Gabe Davis that makes the game 14-14 only happens because the Chiefs are blitzing an extra guy from the secondary. So it's man in the back. And if you're not blitzing, somebody picks up Gabe Davis before the safety and somebody follows him. And Gabe Davis, one of the best performances I have ever seen from a wide receiver in a playoff game ever. Four touchdowns, Almost 200 yards receiving. Just otherworldly good. Otherworldly good performance out of Gabe Davis. Who's somebody I've been kind of high on. I always assumed it'd be Isaiah McKenzie who would break out. Not Gabe Davis. But Gabe Davis had a great game. The four tutties, just incredible. And then Kansas City gets the ball. They set up Butker for a 50-yard field goal. Doink, 14-14. Kansas City first drive. 
Field goal, 17-14. Buffalo gets back. Punt. Then this is where I feel like, okay, maybe this game's going to get away from them. That Kansas City runs that jet mo- that jet motion to McCole Hartman that goes for a touchdown. You're at 23-21. Buffalo gets it back. They come down. Punt. Kansas City. Punt. Buffalo. Punt. And then... Kansas City gets it to 26-21 with the field goal. And that's when this game goes into the all-time great category. Buffalo puts together an eight-minute drive. QB power, Cole Beasley, Singletary, Singletary. QB draw, throwaway. Beasley on a stick route to pick up a nine out of ten on a second and ten. Josh Allen, QB option, first down. Just going through, and then... They run that play to Singletary, and then Diggs makes the catch, and then they run the two-point conversion to Diggs, 29-26. Kansas City gets the ball back. Check down. Incomplete. Curl route. Jarek McKinnon, incomplete. And then they run the big play to Tyreek Hill. And this is where this all of the discourse on the timeline right now is how do you let Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey beat you when those are the other team's two best players in these situations? And it's a fair question. Buffalo has the talent where they should be able to play coverage and rush four. They're sending blitzes. They're playing prevent defense instead of aggressively pressing these guys, which you know we've seen the teams that have given Tyreek Hill the most trouble are the teams that bracket him. They have somebody at the line of scrimmage pressing him, and they've got a safety bracketing the top with opposite leverage to try and corral Hill into either the middle of the field towards the other safety or to the sideline where he won't have enough room to catch the ball. And they run that screen to him on the last drive, but we got to get there. Buffalo getting the ball. They score. They go up 32-29. Then Buffalo gets the ball. They come back down. They get it to 36-30. They get it to 33-36. Then Kansas City gets the ball back. 13 seconds. They do the Tyreek Hill screen for 19 yards. They do the go route to Kelsey to get into field goal range. 49-year field goal to go to overtime. And at that point, you feel like whoever wins the coin toss is going to win this game because the defenses are shot. There have just been so many plays, so much running. You get into that overtime, and it seemed pretty academic. The zone read, empty. They run a stick to Pringle. They hit Kelsey for a first down. Clyde for nothing. They run a screen to McKinnon for 16. They hit Tyreek Hill on a whip route for four. They run the cross to Miko Hardman. And then from there, it's first and goal. And they hit Travis Kelsey on that corner out, and he gets both feet down. And that's your game. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time complaining about the overtime rules because the NFL refuses to adjust them. It won't do the full 10 minutes and then at the end of 10 minutes the winner or college rules where both teams get to keep scoring until the defense stops them. They refuse to change it. They want defense to have value. And I understand that from a, a strategy standpoint. You don't want to disincentivize teams from playing good defense. There was ample opportunity for Buffalo to make a stop in that game. But I do want to give, I want to give the Bills their flowers. Josh Allen played one of the great QB performances I have ever seen on Sunday night. Just 
they had such a hard time moving the ball for long stretches of that game other than him running QB power. And those QB power runs take a lot out of you as a quarterback to constantly be getting slammed into, you trying to bowl people over. That wears at you. I understand Josh Allen's a big, brawlic, strong, fast guy, but that's years on your life on the back end Josh Allen is losing from all of those quarterback runs. He was great. 11 rushes for 68 yards. He was genuinely great. 329 passing, 27 of 37. Just... Uh, the th- some of the throws that one throw he made up the seam 70 yards on a rope to game just throws that only him and maybe Justin Herbert and maybe Mahomes and maybe Aaron Rodgers can make there aren't a lot of human beings on the planet earth who can throw from the 25 to the other 20 yard line in the air there just aren't there are not a lot of human beings who have the physical talent to do that and I feel bad for Josh Allen. He played about as well as you could play in a game and still lose. If his defense could have made one stop at a key point, that would have been enough to win the game. But I expected the Chiefs to win. I didn't think... I thought the Bills would hang around, and then towards the end, the Chiefs would pull away. When, in fact, the opposite happened. They hung around, they hung around, they went toe-to-toe, and then they got out in front and said, all right, Pat, beat us. And then there's the quote... Andy Reid said to Mahomes that uh, Adam Schefter tweeted, Reid looks at Mahomes, he goes, well, when things are looking grim, be the Grim Reaper. And Mahomes is the Grim Reaper. I don't know how Buffalo let that Tyreek Hill screen go for the 19 yards it did and how they're going to let Travis Kelsey get a free release. I understand you want to play off, but at the same time, jam him. There's only 10 seconds left. Less than that. There were like eight seconds left. Jam him at the line. Don't give him a free release where he's going to be able to get going downhill and get a little bit of speed. you got to jam these guys at the line of scrimmage to be able to burn time off the clock. That's the other thing. Even if Kelsey gets free from the jam at the line of scrimmage, that still took two seconds. When there's only eight seconds on the clock, that two seconds makes the play, the subsequent play, impossible. They're not going to have enough time to get to the line of scrimmage, even if Kelsey does catch the ball. And because there's only the six seconds left, Mahomes has to get rid of the ball sooner. So if Kelsey doesn't get a free release, he doesn't get open as fast, Mahomes might have to throw that away, and instead they're looking at a Hail Mary because they can't kick a 67-yard field goal. These are all the things you got to think about as a defensive coordinator. Not a great day for uh, defensive coordinators in any of the games. Uh, the Rams secondary... The, the Jalen Ramsey play, okay, fine. It's man coverage, an elite receiver, double moved, an elite corner. You can live with that. Just, ugh. Tampa's secondary was awful. Just, ugh. Just, you can't get beat over the top. And these are fundamental things. You have this every year in the playoffs. You think about Green Bay right before the half in the NFC title game last year where Scotty Miller catches the touchdown. That's like 60 yards with like eight seconds left in the half, and that swings the entire game. Defense matters. As much as it is an offense-first passing league, defense matters. And to be so lackadaisical, to be so passive over an extended period of time in a game is going to hurt you. It is going to come back and hurt you. Okay. 
that will just about do it for today's show. Close to an hour. Usually, I've been trying to stay shorter, but this was four games. Got to talk about all four. I'm looking forward to the conference title games. I do think uh, Chiefs-Bills was the de facto Super Bowl. I do think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl now. Of the four teams left, I think they are definitely the best team. But that's why we play the games, man. We'll see what happens. Guests lined up for both Tuesday and Wednesday's show this week, so that's exciting. We'll do football later in the week to get ready for the conference title games. We will do a Henrik Lundqvist episode because Friday is Henrik Lundqvist's jersey retirement. So we've got good content on deck. We're going to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. We're going to talk about the Florida Panthers. We're going to talk about Henrik Lundqvist. And we are going to talk about the conference championship games. It's going to be a fun week. I hope you guys stick around. I'll see you guys tomorrow.